not just a belief of mine. It's a real knowing. Knowing that we can take what we love to do, whether it's baking, sewing, painting, whatever lights you up, then we can take that skill and make a great income doing exactly what we love to do. As author of What Should I Be When I Grow Up Now That I'm 40, 50, 60, Discovering Your Core and Also Your Gift Is Your Niche, it has been my life's work to help others, just like you and me, to discover passions, your purpose, powerful messages that you only you have so they can make the difference they were put here to make. Every week I will have deep, rich conversations with real life people that believe just like me. And here's what they believe. When you do what you love in a career, you will never work another day in your life. And this is the way I like to say it. When passion, purpose, and profit collide, that is when you get paid for being you. I'm Patricia Noldrain. Welcome to the podcast, When Passion Meets Profit. It's so much fun for me to do this podcast. I get to talk to the best of the best on each episode, and it's really fun when these really strong leaders are also friends. And I just happen to have a really good friend on today. Her name is Barb Bruno. And Barb and I have known each other for over 25 years. We've been friends. And I thought maybe I'd start with a personal note about Barb before I I read some of the things that are really in her background. But, you know, we both owned our own executive recruiting staffing firms. She had one in Chicago. I had one in Phoenix. We met at a conference in Las Vegas all those years ago, and we've been friends ever since and very supportive of each other, whatever we're doing. So I watched Barb in that profession excel like I haven't seen anybody else excel, and it was so much fun. She won every award you could possibly win from the Hall of Fame Award. This is all at a national level, by the way. And the highest award you could ever get in that, I can't even remember the name of it, but she get, she got that too, of course. She was on the National Board of Directors and invited me on there like I should have been on there. Huh. And she was the chairman of that board of directors eventually. Now, I always knew she was a phenomenal woman, but seriously, she is one of those people who's so multi-talented that it's kind of amazing. So when I left the recruiting profession, Barb did not. She stayed there. So I was so anxious to find out where she was going to go on her path as compared to mine. And she still speaks and she still trains and she still travels all over the place. And, you know, she's so well known in that business, in the profession of recruiting, that if you use her name, people are going to be very impressed that you know her. So her name is Barb Bruno. You just use that. Kind of like Bill Gates, you know, say that kind of a name. So here's here's something that she's done since, and now you'll see why I say she's phenomenal. So Barb is recognized internationally now as one of the top experts in the recruiting and talent acquisition professions. She was selected by LinkedIn. Have you heard of LinkedIn? By LinkedIn Learning to create 14 recruiting courses, which have had over 2 million participants worldwide. <laughs> there you go, Barb. She recorded three new LinkedIn courses this summer. Now, we're talking this summer. We're in, in a pandemic, for heaven's sake. But she did a virtual interviewing being released in June. And then her two additional courses will be released in the first quarter of 2021. That one's called Recruiting for In-House Recruiters and Recruiting for External Recruiting. Amazing to me. 
100% of Barb's top producer tutors. Now, she did that for our profession at one time, and I was just excelling in that. But 100% of the top producer tutor clients have increased their sales and profits. Did you hear that? 100%. Barb has also developed a private-labeled career portal to help job seekers find employment while generating passive income for her clients. Now, she just released a book. It's shocking, isn't it? It was published by Kogan Page of London, and it's called High Tech, High Touch Recruiting. That's coming out September 2020. So help me welcome Barb Bruno, the phenomena. Hi, Barb. Well, hi, Patricia. Thanks for that. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you know, it's, it is, though. To every time I read about what you're doing, Barb, and it's just second nature to you, it's just amazing all the information that you have created. You are leaving such a legacy. And your name is, I mean, you're, you're one of those big shots, just like, I don't know. Do you know the, the name Fitzgerald in football? I don't know. Oh, you do. He's a Cardinal. And I didn't know since I'm Phoenix, but that's who you are. You're the big football star in recruiting. Isn't that cool? That is very <laughs> cool. I'd have, I'd, I would have appreciated if you named a Chicago bear rather than say no. Arizona team. I know. That's okay. <laughs> but see, I don't know a Chicago bear. So name one for me. Well, yeah, we don't have any good ones right now. Well, we do. We have a couple, but yeah, Cleo Mack is a very good defensive player. So uh, I'll Cleo be Mack. Mack. How about that? You be Cleo Mack. Okay. <laughs> so Barb, uh, every time I have a, anybody on the show, friend or not, I ask the same first question, and that is, where were you born and raised? And what were you like as a little girl? Okay, I was born and raised in Gary, Indiana, which of course is a steel town. So all the big steel plants were in Gary, Indiana. And uh, it's a very blue collar, you know, you could go out of high school and work in the steel mills and make a very good living and 30 years later retire with a very good pension. And so that's yeah. what most people did. So that's the town I was raised in. And I've moved all the way 15 miles south of Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I've I've lived here most of my life. I lived in Texas for about five years because my husband took a job down there. But most of my life has been in Northwest Indiana. Now, the interesting part about Northwest Indiana is we're 30 miles out of Chicago. So I had the ability to live in a smaller area, you know, good schools, great place to raise my children. And yet we were 30 miles from a major city. So we had all the benefits of you know, just the theaters and museums and, and the culture of Chicago. So I spent a lot of time with my children in Chicago. In fact, my business was located in downtown Chicago for 26 years. So mm. as a child, I was the first grandchild in my family. And so I was the first, I was the only grandchild for seven years. And, and so I was treated like an adult, I think, ever since I've been born. Like I was always with adults and not necessarily with kids. And my grandmother had lost her 18-year-old son, her only son, in the military. And she was tremendously depressed. And then when I was born, it sort of gave my grandmother the will to live again. And so I'm much more like my grandmother than I am like my mom or my dad because I spent so much time with her. And I was just, as a kid, I was just very busy. Like my mother graduated from the music conservatory. So of course I took piano lessons for 15 years. She had me in a Polish dancing group, a Polish choir. My grandmother, on the other hand, taught me how to cook and bake. 
She tried to teach me how to sew when we both decided that was not my calling. And, you know, I just, as far as other interest, I always loved to play basketball. So we had, in Indiana, everybody loves basketball. That's just the state of Indiana. And so I had a basket in our garage in the back and I used to play basketball with all the boys and I could beat them at horse. And up until about a year ago, I could still beat most of my grandkids playing horse. I have a basket in my bag <laughs> because I, that's the way I unwind. Even now during COVID, I've been out there playing basketball just because <laughs> it just releases some of my energy. Other than that, I don't know. I was just busy as a kid. And I, you know, when I was a child, you kind of got up on weekends and you went outside and nobody worried about you till dinner time. And then you went home and had dinner. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. I mean, you, I was just outside all the time. And yeah. I, The other interesting thing is I was in parochial school for 12 years. So when you go to a Catholic school and elementary school and high school, very rigid, very strong rules, very strong regulations, very high standards. But I think, you know, that contributed to who I was. And the other interest I had was the American Legion. My my parents, our whole family served in the military. So I was a junior in the American Legion. And every Saturday, we would meet at the American Legion. And it was funny because we'd have to walk through a bar to go up the stairs, you know, to get to our little junior meeting, which was kind of interesting. But we spent a lot of time at VA hospitals, a lot of time making things for the veterans and selling poppies. I was the poppy queen one year because I had sold the most poppies and I had to march in the parade. My friends never <laughs> that down my whole life. Um, and I was just involved in a lot as a child, very busy, busy child. You know, and I think that's interesting because you that's who you are today. You're involved in so many different things. And even the baking today, Barb, you've brought that along. Tell everybody how many cookies you make at Christmas time. Usually around two hundred dozen. It didn't start out <laughs> it didn't start out that way, but I love to bake because of my grandmother. And when I'm in the kitchen mm-hmm. baking, it's like my grandmother is standing next to me because you could never sit in the kitchen with my grandmother. Sitting was lazy, so we always had to stand no matter what we were making. So to this day, when I bake, I stand. And I've got her, it brings her back to me. And cooking and baking, I love to cook, I love to bake. And I started mm-hmm. out cookies to my clients. And then I gave cookies to all, you know, the kids' teachers. Well, then it became my grandkids' teachers and my neighbors and the nursing homes and anybody that I know basically gets cookies. You know, and so I roughly do 200 dozen and then I ship to certain people every year. This year, Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, I first year since I've been four years old that I didn't bake that much this year because I think people are a little nervous because of COVID, you know, so I didn't bake and I had to still do some baking because that's who I am. So I, you know, bake for my neighbors and, you know, immediate family, but didn't do the 200 dozen this year. But next year I'll go right back and do that because it sounds like work. But it really is joy. I come home from work every night and I probably bake for four or five hours a night between Thanksgiving and December, like 18th. Usually I'm done by the 18th. Are you hearing the energy level, people? <laughs> this multi-talented <laughs> person. <laughs> I know. And that's just restful for her. Oh, my Lord. Well, Barb, I think it's going to be so fun for you to take us on this entrepreneurial journey that you have been on. And it could be a career journey. Maybe you started out with a job like a lot of us have, but I'm really anxious to have the audience hear that journey because it just helps in their own process to take them there maybe a little bit faster through your story. So would you share that with us? Absolutely. I never intended to be an entrepreneur. That was not on my radar. Although my grandfather came from Poland and opened a meatpacking company. So I worked Mm -hmm. in 
father's meatpacking company ever since I was 12 years old. You know, and I would go there on weekends and help them out. When the Teamsters went on strike, I got a, a chauffeur's license and I drove the truck. And I learned how to drive a, you know, a 10-speed truck and uh, deliver things for him. And my father owned a television tube uh, repair company. And so my family had owned businesses. I basically wanted to, I, I, I play piano, so I typed over 100 words a minute. I still do. And so I envisioned myself as I was going to, you know, basically support a very successful husband and I was going to be the PTA mom and the homeroom mother. And I was going to volunteer at the hospitals and volunteer at the Humane Society. I'm a big animal lover. And then I was going to, you know, basically just back up a very successful husband and be mm -hmm. kind of a maker and volunteer my time. That was my plan. But I tried for a number of years to put my ex-husband through college and he never finished. And then after 10 years of marriage, I realized I was going to become a single parent. And at the time I became a single parent, I had a three-year-old and a three-week-old. I had filed oh. for divorce knowing I was pregnant. And so I had to wait till the baby was born to get the divorce, but she was three weeks old when I got the divorce. And uh, so I went to employment firms because I was working as a secretary during the day and selling real estate on weekends and evenings to make ends meet. And uh, the real estate interest rates had gone up over 20%. So I wasn't selling houses. And I knew I couldn't support my daughters on my secretarial salary. And I knew my ex-husband would never pay support. There was no question that he would just not do a thing. And so I went to an employment firm. And at that point, you have to understand, Patricia, it was a different world back then. Women were either teachers, secretaries, mm -hmm. nurses, homemakers. That was it. Those were yeah. the choices. You were a teacher, a secretary, a nurse, or a homemaker. So I go into employment firms, and the first thing they ask me is, can you type? I said, yes, but I'm not looking for a secretarial job. I work for the president of U.S. Steel Corp. I've got probably one of the highest paid secretarial jobs in Northwest Indiana, but it can't support two kids long term. I'm selling real estate. I'm a really good salesperson. And they basically told me real estate wasn't sales, that I couldn't sell. And they tested my typing. So I went oh. to 12 employment firms and they all tested my typing. And they one, one man even told me that God let me type that fast because I was meant to be a secretary. And I said, oh, so you talked to God and God told you that I'm supposed to be a secretary. And he goes, Barbara, you have no sales ability. You know, you might mm -hmm. as well realize you're meant to be a secretary. Thank God I didn't listen to them. That's at a young age, I was 28 at the time, and I learned that their opinions did not have to become my reality. And I just, I got so, at first I panicked and then I cried in the shower so my kids wouldn't hear me. And then I decided I'm going to open one of those. Like I knew nothing about employment firms, but I thought, I bet they treat all women like this. I bet they do. I bet if you go to an employment firm and you're a woman, that they tell you if you don't want to be a teacher, a secretary, or a nurse, that then go home and take care of your kids. Well, I opened Sunshine Employment. I went to Indianapolis, Indiana, said, how do you do that? They showed me how to get a license. I went to a bank and they would not give me a loan. They turned down my request for a $15,000 loan, an unsecured loan. And then the one vice president of the bank pulled me aside. He goes, Barbara, they've never given a woman a commercial loan. Use it. I go, what? He goes, they've never given a woman a commercial loan. Use it. So I went back to the bank and I said, I understand you've never given a woman an unsecured commercial loan. And they go, well, of course we have. I go, well, who? And so they gave me the loan. <laughs> As, in fact, mm. I went to get the loan before my daughter was born. And they said, well, if your daughter is born healthy, then we'll give you the loan. So I left the hospital, went right into the president of the bank's office, 
laid my daughter on his desk and said, 10 toes, 10 fingers, she's fine. Give me my money, which they did. And um, I opened a secretarial service doing secretarial work for odds and end people while I was trying to figure out the employment business. But don't ever do that. Don't go into a business you know nothing about. And there was no there was no internet at that point. And all the people in my business were men and nobody would share. Where now you've got tremendous information, but it, it would be mm-hmm. is to go into something that you know something about. And mm-hmm. so I became a student, Patricia, you know, and I went mm-hmm. to conference every place I could possibly learn. I took the Dale Carnegie sales course because I was told I couldn't sell. And uh, Dale Carnegie told me I could. And so, and then that's when I developed that attitude, watch me. Like when somebody tells me I can't do something, I don't disagree with them, but in my head, I go watch me and then I just do it, you know? So Mm. I guess the lesson to be learned in my journey is don't ever let someone tell you who you can be or what you can do because nobody Mm -hmm. knows you. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, there's going to be more people telling you, trying to stop you. And are you going to hit obstacles and are you going to hit challenges Yes, but you learn from every one of them. And then I want to teach everybody one lesson that I learned way too late. I believed in making mistakes. And I believe that when you make a mistake, you learn from it. And I made a lot of really costly mistakes because I had no mentors. I had no coaches. I was just going out there and doing it and hoping that it would work. And when it didn't, I would tell myself, you're learning. It's okay. And then later in my career, I learned, you know what? It's a whole lot cheaper and a whole lot smarter to learn from other people's mistakes. So find people that are doing what you want to do and watch what they did. And don't, don't repeat their, their mistakes, but watch what they're doing right. And so find other people that are making the mistakes, learn from them, and it just saves you a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money. So if I had to go back and change anything, I wouldn't have made as many mistakes. I would have looked at other people <laughs> that were doing similar things and learned from them. I'm really loving this conversation, aren't you? but I want to talk to those of you who want to go deeper. We all attended school at some time. Maybe you're attending school right now, but inside those schools are teachers that have the responsibility to teach certain courses, but what they don't teach is really the most important thing in life, self-discovery. You know the self-discovery that would help us know what we are supposed to do in a career, and also that self-discovery on how we're supposed to make an income to really take care of our families, Well, I decided a long time ago, it's time for me to share what I know so I can help somebody with a step-by-step process that anybody can follow. I created a digital downloadable course called Your Gift is Your Niche because people were asking me all the time, Patricia, what's my niche? And I'd always say, your gift is your niche. So now I created a course called yourgiftisyourniche.com and I spell niche with an N-I-C-H-E And in this very affordable, life-changing course, I walk you through very simple exercises. They'll not only help you find your unique gifts, but they'll also show you how to monetize your talents and skills. You know, the ones you came into this world with. I'm so glad I created something that I don't don't think, I know it's going to be able to help you in your self-discovery journey because it's a simple six-hour course with action sheets that support everything that I'm saying in the course. And you also get my wonderful book, What Should I Be When I Grow Up Now That I'm 40, 50, 60. That's going to help you also with different exercises in that book. I'm also glad I made it into what I call an SPL course, 
That's a self-paced learning because we all learn in different ways and at different times. I cannot wait for you to get to know the most important person in your life. That's you. So go to yourgiftisyourniche.com, N-I-C-H-E. And if this page speaks to you, then seriously, invest in you. It's time to claim your destiny. Now let's get back to the conversation. And so then I opened Sunshine Employment, and I had Sunshine Employment for 10 years. And then the steel mills were getting in trouble, and most of my business was with the steel mills. And I had a very good business going, but the mills were really cutting back, and I knew I had to move my business to Chicago. And my children were older, and so I moved my business to Chicago and started all over again 10 years later. Changed the name of my business because Sunshine Employment wasn't exactly, you know, a name that that people in Chicago would like. And I was trying to do business in Chicago from Indiana, but everybody in Chicago thought we lived on farms and had corn in our backyard and Mm -hmm. they would be located in Chicago. So I went into an executive suite in downtown Chicago, started by myself and then eventually hired people and eventually had a whole floor of a building right on the Chicago river in Chicago for 20, 26 years and uh, did business in Chicago and uh, just built it from there. And I got into training business, Patricia, because I fell into that too. I kind of fall into these things. I was the president of the Illinois Association and we had a speaker not show up for a convention. And so we drew straws to see who was going to go out there and do the keynote. And I was the president. So I let everybody else draw the straws first. And I was the last one to draw. And I was the one that ended up having to do the keynote. And I'll be honest with you, I was in the bathroom sick. And they go, oh, no, you set the rules. You go out there. And so I went out there and said, give me six topics of what, you know, our speaker, you cannot be here today. We're going to do all kinds of other things for you. There were 800 people there. And I just had them give me six topics. And I would speak for 10 minutes on a topic. I'd let them ask me questions. Then I'd go to the next topic. And then there were people from seven states there attending the conference. And that's how they started asking me to speak. But the problem, Mm. most people think speaking is lucrative. Speaking is not lucrative if you're a good salesperson. Like if you're like, I could make more money in my office than I could make, you know, speaking because they weren't paying enough money and I had no products to sell. So then I stopped speaking for a while and I kept getting invitations. So then I finally decided to turn training into a business and charge and have products that I could sell and come up with reoccurring revenue models. That's another lesson. I would like to teach anybody listening to this is whatever you develop, you want to develop things that you can sell where you don't have to be there. What can you sell? What can you teach people that they can buy from you where you don't have to be there? And maybe it's a membership type of thing where they're paying X amount of dollars every month. And so whether you're working or not, you've got that reoccurring revenue coming in. And these are all lessons I learned later in my career, but I just turned training into a business and you know, and now the training business is extremely large and I've developed my own learning management system and I have, you know, 17 tutors and all the other things I've done. But one thing just sort of happens after another. When you get out there, you've got to build a foundation and a good reputation and you've got to show people they can trust you and that you care about them and you, whatever you tell them you're going to do, you do. If you do those three things as an entrepreneur, eventually the referral business is what builds your business. You know, so if you're good at what you do, eventually you'll get a tremendous amount of referrals and that just adds to your success. 
Well, Barb, you forgot to say what the name of the company was in Chicago. What did Sunshine it was become? H, it was HR Search. HR Search is my okay. staffing company. And then I have Good as Gold Training, and that's my training company. And I still have both oh. HR Search and Good as Gold Training. Well, I loved listening to that, that whole process. And that's the part I want everybody to take away is the fact that this doesn't happen overnight. You, Barb stayed on that same path the whole time, but she was tweaking it the whole time also. And now, Barb, reading your bio, you know, at the very beginning, how in the world did you get involved with LinkedIn at this point? See, it's interesting. You have to put yourself out there. And I was speaking at a convention. And a, a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, this is the seventh convention I've seen you at. I've attended 10 and you've been at seven. And I've been asking everybody, who should we get as a recruiting expert? And I didn't know she was in the audience. And she said, I would be, I would like to talk to you about doing courses for LinkedIn learning. And I said, what does that involve? And she said, well, can we talk, you know, after? And so she called me and told me what was involved. And it was a very long process. And so I started working with her and then they judge you based on the number of people that watch the course and recruiting was a hot topic for them. And so I was originally hired to do one course and that led to 14. And then interestingly enough, Patricia, it takes about a year to 18 months to develop a course. And they came up to me the week before Memorial Day this year and called me and said, Barb, can you do a course on virtual interviewing? Companies are sure. calling They've got to go to virtual because of COVID. Can you do a course on virtual interviewing, virtual hiring, virtual interviewing, and virtual onboarding? And I said, sure. And they go, we want to fast track it. So I'm thinking by the end of summer. And I said, absolutely. And they said, can you get us an outline? And usually I have a month or two. And I said, sure. When do you want it? They go, tomorrow. And I went, <laughs> okay. So I stayed up all night trying to figure out an outline for a course that I would do for them. And they only wanted 15 lessons. And the lessons are only three and a half minutes each because that's how long they want the videos. Now, when I first went to LinkedIn, they wanted 10 minute videos. Now they want three and a half minutes because that's oh, what we wow. do. So the next day I put the outline out there and usually the outline takes 90 days to be approved and then you're assigned a producer. They called me the next day and said, we approved your outline. And they go, Barb, now we want to give you the time frame and see if this is doable. And I said, okay, what's your time frame? And they said, we would like to record this next Tuesday. So this was the Tuesday before, one week after they were telling me they wanted me to write this course. They said, could you have it done? We'd like to send camera equipment to your house on Monday and we'll figure out what room in your house we can record. And we've never done this before. So you're going to be our guinea pig. We're going to send you, you know, equipment. And so I got my grandkids here because they're very technical. Because if you'd have seen the equipment they sent me that we had to put. And so we set up on a Monday and I spent all Memorial Day weekend writing the course and memorizing the course. Because, of course, there's no teleprompter. We're in my home, you know. And so um, we recorded the course. And they've had over 25,000 people take it. We recorded it in the beginning of May. They released it at the beginning of June. 25,000 people took that course because they were asking for it. And that course went so well. LinkedIn has done probably 20 courses over the summer. I just recorded two more a month ago in my home. And so they now, because their, their studios are closed till May of next year. So their studios have been closed for over a year and they couldn't survive without putting, well, they could have, but LinkedIn didn't want to do that. They wanted to release new courses. And so they figured out that they could do this. And this time around, the equipment, which much different, much better, a lot of it was put together, you know, where the first time it was like a, a like a, like building a Lego set. It was awful, but they wow. 
fine-tuned it now. And so we just recorded two more courses. But it was all a result. And that's how the book happened. The book happened because people at Kogan Page saw my courses on LinkedIn. I'm also doing courses for a group called Listenable in Europe right now that are audio courses that happen because they saw my book. So once you get out there, whether it's speaking or writing a book or other opportunities will come to you because people start reading what you're putting out there. I'm also really active on LinkedIn. I think that any of you that are an entrepreneur, you've got to get very active on LinkedIn and you've got to join groups. The the key to LinkedIn is joining groups, join 20 groups, and then do two posts a week and share them with all your groups. And all of a sudden, everybody just starts following you and you know, and it's amazing what happens as a result of LinkedIn. So being teaching for LinkedIn made me research LinkedIn more. And, it, you know, I don't pay for anything. I, I, I pay for no resources. It's all just joining the groups and doing two posts a week that position me as an expert that people are going to look for and are going to follow. Fabulous. I love that story. And I love the LinkedIn story. You know, just the fact that they were shut down, they had to get very creative during this pandemic to figure it out. And they did. Mm-hmm. And they come to you. And, you mm-hmm. know, they, they did the same thing you're saying, just get out there and be known and be seen. And so mm-hmm. many people are so afraid of that, because they're I think they're fearful of failing or looking foolish or something. But you're the perfect example, Barb. Just get yourself out there and watch the doors start opening. I've had a lot of failures in my life. I mean, I think any successful entrepreneur, you're going to fail. But what you have to understand something when you're an entrepreneur, you're going to fail more than most people. And when I say that to entrepreneurs, they go, you're kidding. And I go, no, you're going to fail more than other people because you're going to try more. But you're also going to succeed more. So, you know, I view, I, I think you judge a person by the number of failures they've overcome, not necessarily by their successes. It's how do you overcome? Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. year, everybody's had to pivot. I mean, I mm-hmm. lost 80% of the revenue in my training company in three weeks with all the conferences canceled, everything did. And boy, did we have to pivot fast. And mm-hmm. you know, I quit every organization I was involved in. I, I repositioned everything because I had to pivot very rapidly and everybody was turning to me for advice. Like, what do we do? How do we do this? You know, and I'll give you an mm-hmm. example. I had a firm call me a staffing firm, a huge franchise that placed in the hospitality industry. Well, we all know what happened to hotels recently. And they mm-hmm. did, did a lot of business with like red lobsters and Applebee's. Well, a lot of those restaurants were closed down. A lot of them are not hiring. And here's a major franchise wondering what to do. And so when he called me, in May and June and said, you know, do you have any advice? I said, just go play, you know, revert your business and place at fast food restaurants. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, Chick-fil-A has four lines around it. Every time you drive by fast food's going to do very well because of drive up window. So tell your franchisees to land fast food clients. And I talked to him two weeks ago and they surpassed their goals for this year by 8%. Oh, wow. Dying in May because he pivoted. So when yeah, you're, not, he- you're going to have to pivot. Because he listened to you and he took the action necessary. And mm-hmm. I just was past McDonald's today. And I mean, they're, they were blocking traffic. They were across the street. So you're right. I mean, that uh, that kind of a business has exploded right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Oh. Him, the other thing I told him to do was, if you watched, I read an article where CVS went to Hilton and Marriott and asked them for all the employees that they laid off. Because CVS was hiring in their drugstores and their warehouses and their shipping and receiving area. And a lot of people that worked 
in hotels, they were trying to hire them. And think about the housekeepers in hotels that could then work for the companies that are doing all this cleaning, like Stanley Steamer and all. So look at look at the opportunities and where can you transition people. And so if you watch what some of the major companies did and how they pivoted, it were it was a great lesson for smaller companies to realize where they had to go. There's always business out there. You just have always. to and that figures it out. Yeah, there's no question about it. Barb, one of my favorite questions to ask each person is my last question, and that is, what tangible tool have you you used yourself to grow your business? And you literally watched it grow in front of your eyes because of this tool. I think there's, there's prop. can I do more than one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, okay. The first one is when I dis- when I discovered autoresponders. Because I I wanted my sales team to follow up with everybody that we talked to. But when I discovered there was something called autoresponders, I have like 81 autoresponder series. And what those are is you you write a series of emails once. And then, you know, you could put anybody in an autoresponder series by just putting their name and email address. And then they get your autoresponders. You could have autoresponders that go out every three weeks for a year. And you only write them one time, but it's different than like, you know, all the other things that just do it one time. You've got this thing written. You can put anybody in your autoresponders at any given moment in time, and they get something from you every three weeks, every four weeks, whatever you set it up. So it keeps your name in front of people because when you're selling, you got, they got to hear your name six times before they even remember who you are. And my autoresponders are all really good information. Like when you're sending something to somebody, the subject line has to capture you know, and I go to Google and say, what are the subject lines that were open the most last year? And those become the subject lines of my autoresponders because I know they're going to be open. The second thing was merchant accounts. You've got to come up with something that gives you reoccurring revenue. I don't care if you sell a membership, if you sell any kind of reoccurring, you know, whatever, because then you've got money coming in with your sleeping, that passive income coming in when you're sleeping. And I really am a firm believer that when you start your business, you take 5% of your cash in and you put it in a reserve fund, an interest-bearing reserve fund, and you start looking for passive sources of income that can make money for you when you're not working. And then lastly, it's a Chrome extension. There's a Chrome extension that I love called Crystal Nose. And it's just a Chrome extension that you download and it's free. And it's Crystal, like C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-K-N-O-W-S. And before I'm going to call a client, I put their name into Crystal Nose and it gives me a mini disc profile on them. So it tells Mm -hmm. me what they like, what they don't like. I was at a conference once and somebody said, do you know Crystal? And we're all going, no. And he goes, you don't know Crystal Nose. Crystal knows you. And we're all going, who's Crystal? And so he goes, let's put up somebody's profile that you all know. I was speaking at the convention. He put my LinkedIn profile up in front of a thousand people. So I stood up and I said, I don't know Crystal. I don't know what Crystal knows about me because I didn't know what it does. So then he ran this Crystal No search on me. And it was like he was talking to my best friend. It said things like, don't call her Mrs. Bruno, call her Barb. Be informal. If you can add humor, she likes she likes to have fun. So be comfortable. It said that I'm very black and white. I don't deal well in grays, that I only read bullet points. Give me the cliff notes. Send me three paragraphs. I won't read them. I'll read the bullet. I mean, it was like they were talking. (laughs) Everybody around me went, oh, my gosh, that's you. And so then I stood up and I said, I find that creepy. Like, how did she know? They're all laughing. I said, how did she know that? And he goes, so what do you think about Crystal? I said, she's creepy, but I'm going to download that thing at the break. Like, I'm going to use that. And Mm -hmm. you 
use so many and then they charge. So you can just use different Gmail accounts. But wouldn't it be great if you're going to try to land a client and you've got this Chrome extension and you learn everything about them before you call them? So never make an unprepared call. You don't have to now. Never cold call. You've got to make warm, informed calls as an entrepreneur because there's so much information on people now. Read their whole LinkedIn profile. Read their hobbies. Read what they like. What sports teams do they back? Do a crystal nose. So when you reach out to people and do Google alerts, make sure that whoever you're going to target, you set up Google alerts on them. So then anytime anything is said about them online, you get a Google alert telling you what's said. And then set up a rule in your email for that to go in a folder with their name on it. Or if you set up a Google alert on a company, set up a folder with the company name. So between autoresponders that keep your name in front of them, merchant accounts that can process reoccurring revenue for you, Crystal Knows can give you, you know, the insight on them. And then Google alerts will tell you everything that's going online about anybody that you're targeting. Those are the four tools. Those are the tangible tools that people can use that you know, the only thing that costs any money is the the autoresponder and it's under $50 a month. And, you know, the merchant account only charges you as you're making transactions. So, you know, we're talking under $50 here, total cost for everything I've mentioned. Only you, Barb, would give four tools. I said, can you give us one tangible tool? I'm sorry. I just <laughs> you gave us four. Yay. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Well, needless to say, that was awesome, as always. Every time, you're so informative. You're such a teacher at heart. I mean, you just are. And you just want to share everything. You know, there's not a selfish bone in your body. You want to tell people things that work. I cannot tell you how refreshing that is. Because I just said to a gentleman, maybe last week, I said, would you share that with everybody on the podcast? And he said, no. And I said, you you wouldn't? That's a beautiful system you have going. He said, why would I share something that they'll copy? And then they'll become my competitor. And see, that's just so wrong, isn't it? Everything you say, well, for heaven's sake. So. Yeah, what I feel is I'm going to teach everybody everything I know for one reason. And when I first put what we did on the tutor, my team was going, you're teaching everybody everything we do. And I said, number one, they're not going to implement everything. I, you know, I'm not managing. Mm-hmm. They're not going to implement everything. And I'm going to keep learning so they'll never catch me. And I think that's how we all have to feel. We have to help each other. And especially right. when helping other women, I couldn't find a woman mentor. All my mentors were men. Every one of them right. was a man. And finally, now I'm seeing, and I, I mentor other women constantly. And I think that we all need to share everything we learn. And then you've just got to keep learning. No one's ever going to catch you. And if they yeah. did, isn't that wonderful that you mentored somebody and maybe you'll learn from them someday. Yeah, that was great. Well, Barb, don't hang up yet and don't go away yet because I wanted to to really go over some golden nuggets that I got out of what you were talking about today. Now, normally I get three or four, and today from you, I have nine, of course, because <laughs> that's who you are. So here they are. And by the way, you can add, Barb, if there's something that really I left out that you you feel strongly about. So number one, don't listen to others' opinions because they will hold you back. Number two, Don't open a business you know nothing about. And I I definitely agree with that. You have to know something about it. You know, people can say, well, I didn't know a thing, but I was very successful. But seriously, it it keeps you back for way too long. Number three, become a student and watch what successful people are doing and just emulate them. Just copy that particular person. Number four, develop the attitude. Just watch me. I love that one, Barb. Number five, mistakes are our teachers. 
And I can't agree with that more. Number six, develop passive income products. Yay. Number seven, the, this you just do yourself, Barb, but this is the one. Be bold, be brave, and just say, sure, I'll do it. And number eight, get creative during this pandemic. Remember the LinkedIn story, because if LinkedIn has to pivot, we all have to also. And number nine, get crystal nose. Yay. Do you have something to add? I have to add number 10 that's extremely important. If you really want to elevate your level of success, change the five people you hang around with most. Like look at the five people you hang around with right now. And do you make more money than them or less than them? Are you the teacher? Are you the student? You've got to go out and find successful people because you will learn from them. And you've got to surround yourself. Patricia Drain changed my life. And, and, and she didn't tell the whole story. At that conference, Patricia was speaking and Patricia was being honored as a shero um, at a large convention. And after the convention, I walked up to her after her address. And I've never done this in my life. She touched my heart. And she was also brilliant. And so I went up to her after she was done. And a lot of her employees, a lot of people were around her. I waited till they all walked away. And I said, Patricia, my name is Barb Bruno. And I want to tell you that I admire you. I think your story is phenomenal. But you also touched my heart. And I know you're going to think this is really weird. And I've never done this before. But I would like to become, you know, your friend. I would like us to not lose track of each other. And I would like us to keep in touch. And I don't know how that's going to happen. And within six months, I was appointed to the National Board of Directors for an organization, and I approached Patricia to get on the board with me, and then we ended up traveling out of town four times a year, and I have to tell you, she's one of my dearest friends. You've got to find people like Patricia. I think the people that you surround yourself with is critical, and I don't care you know, where Patricia is, or I know that I could pick up a phone and call her at any moment in time. And we've both done that to each other. You've got to have your person. I, I know I, I've heard that. Who's your person? I think you need more than one. But the people you surround yourself with are critical. You've got to tune out the noise, tune out the negativity, and find people like Patricia Drain. Find people that are going to challenge you. And so that, I think, is the 10th thing. You've got to learn that, that if you want to elevate your level of success, Really go out there and find five people that are much more successful than you. A lot of your time with them and learn from them because that's the fastest way you can elevate your success. Wow, what a way to end a podcast. <laughs> I, I, I certainly was not suspecting that. I was literally going to be silly at the end and say, are you are you leaving me, Barb? Are you change, changing me out of your five people? And then you tell that story. That was really touching, and I appreciate that story. And I love hearing I that want. again. Thank you for that, Barb. Thank you again, Barb Bruno. I can't, I can't ever listen to you enough and get more information from you. People will be downloading this all day long and keeping it in their systems now because all the knowledge that's in this podcast alone, they can keep going back to it and saying, oh yeah, that's right. She told me to get those autoresponders. You know, it's that kind of stuff. So thank you, Barb, so much. You're welcome. Until You're we welcome. meet again, everybody, it's Patricia Noel Drain. Thank you for tuning in to When Passion Meets Profit. We all have the same amount of time given to us each and every day. Thank you so much for sharing your precious time with me today. Please join us in our free Facebook group, 
It's called When Passion Meets Profit. This is a safe place for all of us to have meaningful conversations beyond this podcast. Until we meet again, it's Patricia Noel Drain.